talking about progressive sanctification, and we've looked at the passages in Scripture in Philippians. It says, work out your own salvation, how? With fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't mean work for your salvation. We're saved by grace through faith alone. In Christ alone, we're not saved that way. But we were saved to do his work. And we're to make sure that our salvation manifests, our life manifests what God has done for us in a very real way. So we talked about the importance of the Word of God yesterday, or last week. This week, uh, and uh, this week will be my last week on this. And we're going to talk about some of the other graces that God has given us to help us grow, to help us mature. And these are very practical and you could come up with this on your own and you know it. So this is nothing more than a reminder to you of the grace of God. For example, the place of prayer. Prayer is a means of grace in our growing in Christ and the working out of the purpose of our salvation. Prayer is an important part. How the Father has ordained that his children receive the good gifts of God by asking for him. It gives him glory when you ask him. Because when you ask him, it shows your independence on him. Right? You know that from your own children. When they ask and uh, even uh, we have that right, as Jesus says, if your child asks for a piece of bread, you don't give him a snake. Or you don't give him something that's crazy. Uh, you have enough sense, we have enough sense as human beings to do that. How much more does our Father in heaven? And there's sometimes when uh, our children ask, we don't give them. Why? If we're decent parents. We don't give them because it's not good for them. Right? We don't give them everything they want because uh, that just makes an unstable life and it's not realistic. So in our wisdom, we have, uh, we have at least uh, some um, brains to say you can't have everything, so you don't give them everything. And uh, sometimes you give them uh, more than they want, just out of the goodness of your God's grace. So if God is withholding the rain, why would he withhold it? Is he a bad God? Does he do evil things? So why would he withhold it? Because it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Yeah. So he withholds it from all. And for the believer, what does it do for you? It causes you to pray. It causes you to realize, you know what? I'm dependent on him. I'm dependent on God. And that's what he wants. So... Uh, Look at Luke 11, 19, and James 4, 2 to 3. Somebody read Luke 11, 19. 9 or 19? Yeah. What did I say? 19. Uh, 11, 9. I'm dyslexic. I really am. I'm out. Doesn't help with age either. I'm dyslexic, so that's why I write it down. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
Now the words ask, seek, and knock are all in the present tense, which means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So uh, this is a, speaks of the constancy of prayer. And what's really on your heart is the thing that you will continually ask for. How about James 4, 2 to 3? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Okay, prayer is not, uh, praying is not just for you to have something to spend on, on yourself. Prayer is, uh, is uh, because is something you do when you ask God if, and you don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes things are not given to us and we never ask the Lord for it. People come to me and say, little Johnny is totally out of whack. What do we do? I say, have you been praying for him? Yeah. Mom, Dad, are you both praying for him? I said, I'll pray for him. You want me to do what you're not willing to do? You need to put your children before the Lord. Uh, and uh, even, I don't know, have a young child. Who are they going to marry? Isn't that a concern to you? It's a concern to me. It's a concern to, who, to whom our children marry. It's a concern to me who are friends of our children and all those kinds of things. We want to bring them before the Lord. Ask the Lord for that. Ask the Lord for wisdom. You get yourself in a bind, ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 tells you that at the very beginning of the book. Uh, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he'll give you liberally. He'll give it to you. So uh, the Father is glorified because he delights in demonstrating his all-sufficient riches in meeting the needs of his children. Sometimes it's right on the brink. It's not till right at the last moment. Because what causes you to exercise faith and grow, right? We glorify God when we ask in Jesus' name. Asking in Jesus' name tells us that we're coming and we're interested in what Jesus wants for us. We want his will, his way. And furthermore, Christ knows what is best for us, so we're coming to the Father requesting what the Lord Jesus wants for us. Your will be done, we would pray. I think in uh, last chapter of the book of 1 John is uh, kind of a, a very interesting book our very interesting passage of scripture. The last chapter talks about prayer in this, um, I didn't underline it in this Bible. Um, it's in verse 14. 1 John 5, 14. Verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, 
We know that we have the request which we have asked from you. So if you've asked something in your will, you're going to get it. Sometimes you see it in hindsight rather than in foresight. You look back and you say, wow, he meant it in a way I never expected. He meant it in a way I didn't really realize that it was really being answered, but it's being answered. Did we read John 14, 13 to 14? Let's read that, please. And whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Right. If you're asking for a citation jet so that you can tool around and not go commercially, that might be a little out of the will of God, okay? Might be if you... If you're an NBA basketball player, it might not be, but did you hear where Jordan is selling, Michael Jordan is selling his share of the NBA Hornets team, and his share will be $3 billion? What would you rather have, $3 billion and go to an eternal lost eternity, or one buck and go to heaven. It's kind of hard to answer, isn't it? Do we have both? <laughs> uh, move away, Rog. I don't want lightning to hit here. Isn't that crazy? You ask the question, would you like to have all the world's applause and everything in it? Or would you like to be alone in the world and your only friend is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? What would you rather have? We had a guy in, uh, in the church in uh, Mission Road and, and he was a body man. And they called him, he owned his own body shop. And they called him in, the IRS called him in and they said, sir, do you own your body shop? Yes, but why do you have three people here? He said, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know how to quite handle that one. Prayer glorifies the Father because we come to him totally dependent upon him for our needs. Hebrews 4.16 and Philippians 4.6 and 7. Therefore, let us draw it near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's a couple words in there that are kind of interesting. Confidence. Draw near with confidence. Draw near that we may receive mercy. That's something we don't earn or deserve. And what is the throne called? Grace. grace. God is gracious. And he's not a stingy God where he's withholding things from us. His hand is open. Sure, come here. I'm a gracious God. <coughs> Furthermore, I'll give you mercy. You're going to get something you didn't earn. Probably deserve the opposite, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because I love you and my son has paid for your debt. 
All right. How about Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word anxious in the original is a present imperative with a negative, which means stop being anxious. Stop it. Don't let it go on. Uh, I, I would say that's worry, wouldn't you? Does the word worry in Greek, does that mean like a divided mind? Yeah, it's split mind. Stop being divided in your mind. Trust the Lord in this thing. So stop being anxious and stressed. I think all of us uh, recognize how much stress can affect us physically and uh, mentally. People just worry themselves sick. And it's, you know, when you're dependent upon yourself, it's very easy to do. It's very easy to worry. It's one of the more natural things to do. Um, but you better stop it. And then how do you resolve it in this verse? How do you stop being worried according to this verse? What does it tell you there? Prayer. But everything in prayer. Lord, I don't know how to resolve this thing. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But you know, Lord. And I commit it to you. I turn it over to you. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's a daily battle. It's not something that just comes flowing over you. It'd be nice if all you had to do was come forward to a church and kneel at the altar and it'd all be over. This is a daily thing. Lord, I, I find myself worrying again. I find myself fretting. I just, Lord, help me to commit it to you by prayer and supplication and and naming it. What are you afraid of? What are you worrying about? Name it to God. He knows anyway. You're not hiding a secret from him. It's not like sometimes you talk to people and you have this fear, but you're not going to share it with them. And they don't know it anyway. But God knows it. He's well aware of it. So tell him, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about my future. Where does it end? I'm worried about the fact that I have this cancer. I'm worried about this fact that I have this problem or I have this financial problem. Name it to God. I'm worried about it, Lord. I'm afraid. Help. Is he going to refuse that? No. He gives you all kinds of freedom in that. Furthermore, it says, with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I'm going to talk about it. It's a day of prayer because in Colossians I'm in prayer too. But I'll, I'll tack it from a little different angle this morning. But the point is here that Thanksgiving, you cannot give thanks until you settle that that's okay. You can't really give thanks, honestly. Until you've come to the grips with the fact 
that this was of God and God will see you through. You can't give thanks for cancer until that happens. And uh, we, we admired our daughter-in-law and our son-in-law, our son actually, but our daughter-in-law, she said, this is my chariot to heaven. And I know they struggle with that now and then, but that was their overall attitude that God gave this to them for a purpose and they could honestly thank God for it. That's rare. But that's how we have to treat it. And we were saying uh, today when, uh, Friday when these babies were born, we really wish that uh, Chris could have seen them because she knew the, that uh, the twins were coming, right? And that's a little disappointment that she did. But that's a human perspective. She's with Christ. She's not walking in faith like we are. She's walking in sight. She knows that God's will will be done. Period. And she's rejoicing in her position there. So it's a really kind of a hard, hard thing to get your mind on. But you got to think biblically. You got to think about God sovereignly. And you got to think about the fact that the most loving thing, he's a God of love. So the most loving thing he did, the most gracious thing he did, and the wisest thing, because he's white, because he's wise, and the most righteous thing, the right thing he did was to give her ALS and take her to heaven when he did. And all God's people said, yeah, you say it. We all say it, but boy, we got to struggle with it, don't we? We got to trust God, and we struggle with that. So in everything, give thanks. And giving thanks means that you come to the realization that what is done is absolutely the right thing because your God and my God is righteous. Correct? He's righteous. And he's just. What does that mean? He's fair. So the fact that you get half inch of rain in Hampton, we don't get a drop, that's fair. That's the way it works out, right? As a believer, quite frankly, as a believer in Christ, you never get the shaft. Somebody may get a job over you. Somebody may get land that you wanted. Somebody may get an inheritance and you don't, even though you're in the same family. Remember what Jesus said, life doesn't consist in the abundance of things which you have. Right? And how many people do you see in our area are fighting over inheritances and everything else? But as a Christian, you always get what you you always get what God gives you. All things work together for good. So prayer 
is how you adjust to the will of God. Prayer is that means by which you come to Him and you can square that away with your emotions and your feelings. And you can go to Him and say, Lord, I just don't understand. Give me the wisdom to understand this. Help me deal with, the, deal with life. So prayer is very important in your spiritual growth. And in fact, I would say you're not growing if you don't pray. I'd go so far as to say that. You think that's a fair statement? Okay, 1 John 1, 7 to 10. Okay, further, let me finish uh, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God. You ever thought about the peace of God? Is he up in heaven worrying, oh, I don't know what China's going to do. It's kind of out of the control. We got Russia moving into Ukraine. We got a president that's not thinking clearly. We have all these things going on. Uh, is God up there frustrated? Is God, uh, is God, who, uh, I hope it works out. It's the peace of God that he gives you. <coughs> Same kind of peace he has. It's the peace of God that passes what? All your understanding. I used to tell guys who worked in a corporate setting, when you go to the water cooler and everybody, everybody in the plant knows how to run the factory or the plant beside the owner. So everybody's an expert who goes to the water cooler, right? They all know. The janitor knows more than anybody else how the church ought to be run. No, no hint. We got a great, <laughs> Leanne does a great job, but I mean, sometimes the person who is, is, has, is the lowest on the pedestal has more ideas on how it ought to be run than it ought to be run, and we go that way with God, too. The world gripes about God. A couple of weeks ago, somebody was visiting here, and, uh, and we were talking about the rain, and he said uh, to me, he said, uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to God about why it didn't rain. I said, when you get to heaven and you stand before God, you're not going to say a word. You're not saying a word. I've heard people say that. Well, I'm going to ask God a question. You're going to ask a question of a person who knows all things? You're going to say, yes, Lord. Thank you. Job tried that. Yeah, Job tried that. That's a good, that's a good point. And what did God say? Where were you? I created the whole world. Where were you? Tell me why an ostrich sticks his head in the sand. Lays his egg and runs off. Who made that? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Tell me if you can. Uh, Job, you know what he said? I repent in dust cloth and ashes. Where were we? 
Anybody here see creation? We see the result, but we never saw how it happened, except how God told us. Amazing God we have. Okay. He will guard your hearts. It's, the peace of God surpasses all comprehension. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's interesting. When you have the peace of God, uh, if you don't have the peace of God, it upsets your even your digestive system, doesn't it? And other other problems. Just a health health hint. First John seven to ten. First John one seven to ten. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, as we walk in the light, in the word of God, we come to sudden realization that we are sinners. That we sin every day. And uh, sometimes we don't, we sin and we don't even know it. In the Old Testament, they had a sin for, they had a sacrifice for that. You made a sacrifice and you laid your hand on the sacrifice and as the animal bled to death. You didn't say anything because you sinned and you didn't even know it. But you're still guilty. You run through a stop sign, you never saw the stop sign, you purposely never saw the stop sign. Would you get a ticket? Why? Ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. So we sin sometimes, we don't even realize. And so when we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just, he is fair. He'll take care of that, that sin thing. So it keeps us walking with him. How about Psalm 119, verse 37? Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me away. Okay, turn my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. B.B. Warfield, a scholar of a previous generation, wrote this. Prayer by nature of it is a confession of weakness, need, and dependence. It is a cry for help. And no one can take this attitude once without an effect on his character. But in it, we learn to look away from ourselves to one higher and greater and acknowledge our utter dependence upon God. That's what prayer does, and that helps us grow, right? It helps us uh, mature. Yes, Eileen. That song, um um, it's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what pain does pain to bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There you go. It goes on. It is the most beautiful song. Mm -hmm. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Because the problem is we think we can handle it. 
I saw an advertisement last night uh, by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, known earlier as Al Cinder. What was his name? Lou Elson. Pardon? Lou Elson. Lou Elson. But he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's talking about AFib, a common heart, or I don't know if it's common, but it's a heart thing. And uh, he said, I thought I could work it through. And how many times we do that health-wise? We think we'll get better. And sometimes in, in our physical life or spiritual life, we do the same thing. I can work this out. I don't need to pray. This is something I can do. And you can't do it. Might as well admit your weakness and go and pray. Yes. Jerry Green, you said your prayer life is indicative of your pride life. Mm -hmm. So if you're not praying, you're very prideful. Right. Prayer, did you hear? Uh, lack of prayer is indicative of your pride. So, uh, Prayer is a very important part in spiritual growth. The other part is, the next one, is the need of fellowship. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. The encouragement from one believer to another helps to preserve perseverance to preserve, persevere, protect, and keeps us from being hardened from sin. I remember hearing a story by Earl Rodmacher, who was at that time the president of uh, the Western Baptist Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and he made this comment. He'd been preaching all weekend in some church Flew back to Portland and got back home on a Tuesday and he was just whipped, tired. Wednesday night was prayer meeting and he really didn't want to go. And he said, I've been preaching and in the word all weekend. I'm just, I'm just pooped. I just don't want to go. His wife encouraged him to go. And he drug himself to the prayer meeting and he sat down and in front of him came a single mother with three little kids, all dressed up, and sat in front of him. And he said, here's a mother, took care of three little kids, raising a family by herself, and realized the necessity of fellowship, and it really <coughs> spoke to him. Iron sharpened what? Iron. Just by seeing this family. There's many, many ways that it does in church fellowship. A church isn't just fellowship, but fellowship sharpens one another in funny ways. Sometimes people make off the cuff statements. I remember one time I came from a convention where they had a really good preacher, and uh, somebody said, to me, how'd you enjoy the convention? I said, man, I wish I could preach like him. And the guy said to me, you have the same Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's right. 
just jab me. Haven't you ever had that happen to you? Somebody will say something, they didn't mean it, they just said it to be saying it. And it was just like somebody took a knife and, boom, got me. Fellowship, you need to fellowship. It's an encouragement. We sharpen each other with the sword of the Lord, which is the word. Look at Ephesians 6, 17 and Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And 12 and 13, did you read that, Kennedy? 13. Hebrews 12, 3, 12 and 13. You read 12, didn't you? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm ahead of myself. Ephesians 6, 17. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In the armor that is presented there in our battle with the kingdom of Satan. That particular helmet is very important, but... The only offensive weapon we have is the Word of God. Notice, all the armor is for the front, for frontal attacks. Most people in war that die in war were died running away from the enemy. Sinners. Facing the enemy is the armor that God has given you. And your only weapon is the sword of the Lord. A two-edged sword according to Hebrews 12. All right, Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today the fellowship of believers keeps you from being hardened when you encourage one another today refers to the fact of our current situation you're encouraged by seeing others gathered together believing the same thing you do in a world that denies most of it there is a group that still believes I just read uh, Elijah either today or this morning. I think it was this morning in my reading. Elijah griping to God. You know, I'm the only one left. Take my life. What did God tell him? 7,000 others. Yeah, there's 7,000 others that have a need, haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You may say, we're just a small group here on the interstate. Let me tell you, there's millions in the United States who still believe what we believe. I could name you all five or six churches right off the bat. And you could do. To still believe what we believe. I like what Kershaw, the famous baseball player for the Dodgers, said about the Dodgers in their pride day. He said, I believe in Jesus Christ and I don't agree with any of this. Now that's putting it on the line. He could lose his job for that. So there's still people, even in professional sports, that hold the line. 
as well as other places as well. All right, Hebrews, uh, uh, the Christian are exhorted to meet regularly and encourage one another in the faith. Take a look at Hebrews, that really important passage, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to see one another to love to be written, not for assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, but, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now the word consider there signifies a careful and attention of the mind. Don't just come here and, and look for the back seat. Come in here and I, as you walk in here, say, Lord, how can I encourage somebody here? How can I stimulate them to good deeds? How can I take a cattle prod and poke them to do something good? That's your job. How can I encourage when I'm fellowshipping with one another? Just see a guy across the aisle or a person across the aisle and say, it looks like they need a little encouragement. Just give them a word of encouragement. Say, if nothing else, I'm praying for you when really meaning it. Or giving a gift to them, you realize they're down a little bit. You buy a expensive gift at the dollar store. Give them a gift. <laughs> give them a gift. It's just a nice thing that, that people do for one another, right? Haven't people done nice things for you? Been an encouragement? Think of how you can do nice things and I can do nice things for others as well. All right, one more. I think we have time. Providence. Providence is the working of God in our lives as a means of building us up in the faith. Everything that happens to us, you would call providence of God. It's in the providence of God that we miss the rain. It's the providence of God, this, that, or the other thing. Famous verse, Romans 8, 28, and 29. Romans 8, 28, and 29. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, we know it's the word oida in the Greek, which is we know intuitively, comprehensively, that God causes all things, providence, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, those he foreknew, he predestined to become what? Why did he save you? To become like his son. That's why he saved you. He didn't save you just that you'd miss hell, that's important to me, but he saved you for a more purpose, that you would be like his son. His son ever worry? Jesus said, foxes have holes, 
Birds have nests. I don't have any place to lay my head. Was he concerned about it? Peter, we got to do something. Go to Shields and buy a tent at least. Wasn't concerned about it. God took care of him. Will he not take care of you and me? All right, providence. Every incident in our life is designed by God to make us more like his son. So when trials are handled biblically, they build character. If you're going to moan and groan about what's happened to you, you're not going to grow. Nothing that has happened to any of us, a death of a loved one, a divorce, a financial loss, you name it, none of those things should change our character toward God. If you handle it biblically, if you realize that God knew this billions of years ago, and you came, this became a part of our situation, and everybody here is going to go through a trial of some sort. A little rain will fall in all of our lives at some point, if it hasn't already. And how we handle that with God determines whether we grow or not. Am I saying stuff that's nonsense? Look at Romans 5, 3 and 5. Did you read that right? What'd you just read? Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice in what? Our suffering. Why do we rejoice in our suffering? Go ahead, uh, Brett. Right, verse 4. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. What a testimony. I'll use our daughter-in-law again. She had more testimony in dying than she had in living. Right? You know, the death, our death, if it's slow, can be a means of everything that we've witnessed and believed can be the topic and can be the culmination of our life. And sometimes at our funerals, you can stand up and say, here's a life that was lived for Jesus Christ. And more can have, you can reach more people and face them with the facts at your funeral than you ever could in your life. Think about it. Are they saying, man, preachers pushed him into heaven. I've heard people uh, get pushed into heaven at a funeral. <clears throat> Guy got him into heaven somehow. But I've been at funerals where God has been glorified and even the neighbors who sat there 
who knew what kind of person he was or wasn't say, yes, Jesus Christ was evident in their life. Even your own memorial service. Think it through. Think it through. What do you want to be known as in your trials? You know, I've been through a number of trials, I think, and some I thought wouldn't survive, but it did. But you know, the greatest trial still facing me. The greatest trial still facing us. Yes. I love the verse. I can't remember where it is the reference, but who for the joy that set for him endured the cross despised the shame. Uh, Romans 8. Who for the joy? Uh, I might, I might want to look that one up after I think about it a little bit. There's one in Romans 8 that says it's when about not being um, glory. Uh, when I consider the glory of God. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's Hebrews 12. That's Hebrews 12. Well, this is part of the growth. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and in and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Okay, verses uh, 3 to 5 talk about the power of God, the inheritance you have. And so when you have that in this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So what do you do? Rejoice. What have we been talking about? Now, I, this goes for me too. I mean, I'm not some kind of holy Joe that I just get a trial and the first thing I think of is how great God is. Take sometimes a little time to sort that out. Even James chapter 1, we didn't even read that, but look at it next, what it produces. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete. Lacking in nothing. Okay, Romans 5. Exalt in tribulation. 1 Peter 
Rejoice through the trials. Now, James 1, consider it joy, my brethren, when you enter various trials. You get the point? What's the point? Rejoice in that everything. What does it say even in 1 Thessalonians 5? Take a look at that chapter where he has a lot of... 1 Thessalonians 5, verses uh, 15 and 16. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but every fellow that which is good Rejoice what? Always. Part time? What do you ought to be known as? Are you would you rather be known as a complainer and bellyache about everything? Or would you rather be known as a person that rejoices and has happiness and inner joy and peace? That's your decision. That's up to you and me. Love thinks no evil. Love rejoices in all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 to 4. So, you got a half hour now to go to the prayer room, get it all straightened out. Father, we're, we're a bunch of interesting people. We're like the children of Israel. You would have thought we'd have learned from all their wanderings and their complaining to you that, that that's not right. And yet, Father, thousands of years later, as human beings who are fallen, sinful, we have the very same problem. Forgive us, Father. We confess it to you. Help us to be children of joy and peace of God living in our heart in a world that is full of unrest, May we be a testimony to them of your greatness and your great salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.